Welcome to another Weird Wednesday. This is Tina, and Tori and I are so glad that you're here. Today we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics, the Nephilim. We read Genesis 6 together, and as always, offer some encouragement at the end. If you aren't already, please follow us on Instagram, at the Weird Wednesday Podcast. We are also on YouTube, where you can find weekly episodes. We would love to hear from you. If you have an account or a story to share, please email us. Tori is T-O-R-I at weirdwednesdaypodcast.com. Or you can email me, Tina, at weirdwednesdaypodcast.com. Again, we're glad you're here. And as always, stay weird. It's Weird Wednesday. What, what? <laughs> Bob's back. Yeah, he's a he's a looker. <laughs> <laughs> when we logged on to the video, Tori literally was startled by him. <laughs> yeah, because he actually looks like a human being behind you. Well, this may be Bob's last week <gasps> in the podcast. What? Because... I'm, I'm thinking about moving him downstairs. R.I.P. So what's weird this week? Well, mine is more on like a... Uh, not more of a funny... I kind of feel like I need to balance it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we are in the middle of probably one of the craziest busiest seasons of life and I woke up this morning let's just say I bought these vitamin supplements that are supposed to help you sleep I didn't go to bed till 1 30 a.m so what I don't think they work actually I do because when I did finally fall asleep I wasn't tossing and turning like I usually do I was out oh wow but I woke up early because I have children and was just extremely overwhelmed with life and all the things that are on my plate and hopefully this resonates with everybody because it's just really overwhelming sometimes and mm -hmm. so I was spending time with the Lord this morning and asked him to just minister to my heart because it was getting to the point where it makes me want to just not do anything at all just because there's just so much to do that my reactions are always to just hide in my shell, read a book, or just, you know, not do any of the responsibilities that I have. So mm -hmm. I was reading and in my normal places that I'm in right now, and I felt like the Lord said, hey, you need to read today's proverb. And I was like, okay, Lord. So, of course, it's the third. So I read Proverbs 3. And I mean, we know this verse, but just think of this verse in what I told you. Your life is chaotic. Everything's going crazy. You feel like you can't have, you can't grasp anything. You're out of control and you're worried. And Proverbs 3, 5 six, through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. And why that's 
quote unquote weird is because this is the verse we've been teaching our son the last three weeks. Mm. And so every day, at least this whole week, he has been saying it out loud to himself while he's playing because we made kind of like a little beat to it. So now it's like this little rap song that (laughs) he has. But I've been hearing it all week long and it never hit me. It was just kind of the thought of this is my son's Bible verse that he's memorizing, you know, and Mm -hmm. you kind of lose what Mm -hmm. it what the words are, you know, and I read that and I was like, "Okay, Lord, I hear you. (laughs) I felt like God was saying, you've been hearing this all week long. And you're still worried. You're still stressed out. I've been telling you all week long, trust in me with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, acknowledge Mm -hmm. me in all your ways and I will direct your path. I was just really blessed by that. So sometimes the Lord has to really hit me in the head with it because I can be pretty (laughs) stubborn. So I'm pretty sure everyone listening can relate to that story. (laughs) in that sentiment that sometimes, Lord, we just really need you to be obvious about it. (laughs) Yes. And he was, but that was, that was my, what was weird. I love that. I love that. So my something weird came up in a conversation with one of my brothers. I'll call him uh, my twin brother because he's the one closest in age to me. And I think we're the most similar personality-wise, temperament-wise, the things that we like to talk about and learn about. And yesterday we were talking about frequencies mm. and and kind of ancient technology. And he told me something. You guys may have already heard about it. I heard about it for the first time. It's called the Baghdad battery. Have you heard of that? No, I'm assuming it has something to do with the military. Well, it's called Baghdad because it was found in Iran. Oh, okay. In, I think it was 1936 or 1938. And it's dated back to around 200 BC. And what it is, is it's this little clay pot. I saw a picture of someone actually holding it like in the palm of their hand. It's only five inches tall, three inches wide inside there is a cylindrical tube of copper and there is an iron rod inside and then something kind of like a like black tar it was the residue they found and it was kind of acidic Mm -hmm. and after they had this finding they replicated what they had found because they there were three jars lined up next to each other but only one of them had all these components inside so they replicated it and they discovered that it could be used as a battery it produced electric voltage whoa like the first ever battery really so i mean maybe the first ever but the the oldest discovered battery and it was really interesting to me because i ended up watching several videos just wanting people's different opinions about it and it's funny because um some of the archaeologists that briefly touched on it are really resistant to acknowledging that it's possible that they had this sort of technology back then 
even though it had been tested, I mean, even though the components all match up and it's right in their face, but it just kind of reminded me of this hesitance to believe that our ancestors were capable of producing this kind of technology. And it actually plays really well into today's conversation because of the because we're going to talk about the Nephilim, according to the Book of Enoch, they're the ones who shared a lot of the knowledge with us. So today we wanted to get into a topic that I'll be honest, I, everything that I know about this story, I did not learn in a church setting. Me neither. Yeah. I don't think I've heard the Nephilim mentioned once in church. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't churches out there who will touch on the subject mm-hmm. because I think there are. I just believe that they're very few and far between. What I know I've mm-hmm. learned from people like Dr. Michael Heiser, Dr. Chuck Missler, and and others who, mm-hmm. you know, share this information with us. But what I do believe very strongly is that having a foundation or having an understanding of Genesis 6 is pretty foundational to understanding the Old Testament as well as Mm -hmm. some prophecies. And Mm -hmm. what I equated to in my mind is, can you imagine going through the Old Testament into the New Testament without a foundational knowledge of God's covenant with Abraham or the tabernacle or sacrifices? Once I learned about the Nephilim, I kind of started to view it in the same light. Like there was so Mm -hmm. much I was missing in my studies because I didn't know what Genesis 6 meant. Because Genesis 6 is not the only time that the Nephilim or giants are mentioned. And so knowing who they are, where they came from, and why they're significant even creates a better understanding of, you know, I think of scriptures in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, in Jude, how they talk about why the sons of God are chained and why they even have that punishment. I knew those things before, but I never knew why. It was kind of just this underlying idea of, well, they were bad, they sinned against God, or they went against God, and now they're in eternal damnation. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as it went. Mm -hmm. But understanding why... I mean, it's a way bigger deal. No wonder they're in so much trouble. Truly. truly. So let's go to Genesis 6. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. And it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And I don't know about you, Tori, but my whole understanding of the Genesis 6 account came from verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And if that were the only premise for what happened, gosh, we would constantly be in trouble (laughs) because that's right. That was the first question I had thinking back to, you know, Sunday school when, oh, they had to flood the earth because everyone was just so bad. What's different from today? I would argue that maybe it's worse. Right. How come that hasn't happened again? If that really was just it, I mean, it couldn't be. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start, go back to the first and second verse. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. A lot. One of the theories about this verse is that the sons of God are the sons of Seth and that the women are the sons of Cain and that one of the reasons the flood happened is because supposedly they weren't supposed to breed with one another just right off the bat in verse one and two that term sons of God is Beneha Elohim it's also used in Job Luke the book of Enoch and the Septuagint but what that term means is some a being that was directly created by God's hand. So that would be the Beneha Elohim, which are the sons of God, the heavenly beings, most commonly referred to as angels. And that also includes Adam. Mm-hmm. So he's a son of God. We, those of us who are born by natural processes here on earth, we're sons of Adam. Mm-hmm. So Beneha Elohim is just right off the bat one way that you know these are created these are beings created by the hand of god Mm -hmm. and then further down in verse four where it says nephilim nephilim means the fallen ones and it comes from the root word of nephat which is to fall to be cast down to fall away um, or to desert and in the greek it's translated into gigantes which some Bible translations will say, we'll just call them giants. But the root word is gigas, which is earthborn. The word is also used in, because it's Greek, it's also used to describe demigods in Greek mythology, which when I first learned about the Nephilim, I started also learning just like all cultures have a flood story all civil you know Mm -hmm. ancient civilizations there's always a flood story there's also stories about the nephilim and i kid you not one of the first thoughts i had was oh my gosh what if greek mythology is real you know what if it's Mm -hmm. actually a history because think about it there are the sons of god so there's the main lower you know gods zeus Mm -hmm. hades hermes poseidon them But then they also breed with women and then create their children, the demigods. And that's Mm -hmm. literally a reflection of what is happening in Genesis 6. But that's just one of my ongoing theories. Mm -hmm. So this was a really weird thought. And it was kind of creepy to me when I first started learning about it. Just the thought that there were 
hybrids on the earth. It was just such a foreign concept to me at the time when I first learned about this. Do you remember feeling like that at all? I remember feeling, I guess a part of me was questioning everything at that point and not in terms of my faith, but what else is out there. Mm -hmm. And like you said, these things that we've heard or watched even as children in Disney and how, where did these stories come from? You know, how did, where did, where was this originated really? Mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, if you look back at a lot of history or philosophy and things like that, astrology, all of that, it always ties into some kind of story that I remember from growing up and I feel like they're all connected in some way. And I wonder if it's to kind of desensitize us or get us to know without really knowing these types of things that they become familiar and acclimate us to these ideas. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they become fantastical and they're not, they're just stories, you know, they're nothing more than that. But then my first thought when I learned about the Nephilim and who they are, and, and then you kind of connect that to, well, that makes sense because David literally fought a giant. Where would the giant come from? Would he be the only one? No. (laughs) And then you read in Job and about Leviathan and the, the behemoth and just all these different large, crazy creatures Mm -hmm. that you just kind of skip over or you don't even go there. And then now I'm like, what else? What else is out there? What else is, you know, if we also, we believe in dinosaurs, we've found, you know, fossils of that and we found bones of those. And I just feel like it, how, how can we not believe in these things? Like they all kind of tie together to me in, in some way. And to me, it makes sense. Because if you think about it, mm-hmm. so in Genesis 3, a Messiah is promised, right? Through the bloodline of man. And so it makes sense mm-hmm. to me that these fallen angels would come down. And I'm actually going to read a portion of um, the book of Enoch where they have this conversation. But it makes sense to me that they would come down and try to taint the human bloodline. And it, it's as mm-hmm. though they almost succeeded, because it had touched almost all the people of the earth. And I know that we said this in a previous episode, but I wanted to do a quick disclaimer again that we do not count the book of Enoch as the inspired word of God. However, we do count it as a recorded history, even as disturbing as it is. So in in the book of Enoch, it talks about the watchers having this conversation about uh, come let us choose wives for ourselves from among the children of men and have children. And then it talks about kind of their leadership, but there's a group of 200 of them who agree to do this. And they even say, indeed, I fear you will not agree to do this deed. And I alone will have to pay the penalty of this great sin. So they knew that what they were about to do was, a defilement and that they would receive a punishment. And it says, let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves to mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan to do this thing. And that was first Enoch chapter six. And of course we know that they didn't 
abandon the plan uh, because we read that in chapter six. But what I wanted to read in relation to something that you had said earlier about the animals and whatnot in chapter seven, it talks about and they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and they started to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. So it's just this idea that the Nephilim that were born became so gruesome. And what this text is sharing is that they were talking about the Nephilim in that verse, by the way. So the sons mm-hmm. of God came down, they bred, and then the Nephilim are the ones who became gruesome. And it says that they turned against humans because humans could no longer provide for their appetites basically and so they started attacking Mm. all the flesh of the earth and so and Mm. so it's it's as though the flood is is twofold right the lord needed to get rid of this tainted blood but also gosh to save us from these giants i just wanted to to share in agreement with what you're saying that these that the nephilim were becoming so monster like mm-hmm. at this point in Deuteronomy 2:11 it says they were also regarded as giants like the Anakim but the Moabites call them Amim and Amim means terrors mm-hmm. and they also had every people group had a different name for them but they all alluded to like terror one of them was evil planners one of them were like you, which or like plotters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were always known as, as that, mm-hmm. as these evil monsters, terror plotters, like evil plotters and things like that. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for wiping them out. My goodness. Yeah. Could you imagine mm-hmm. today what that would look like? Wow. But we'll get there because I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> So going back to Genesis 6 and asking why Noah. So in verse 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And that word for blameless, um, some translations say he was perfect. And uh, which, you know, depending on your translation. But the word there is to meme. And it always refers, when it's used, it always refers to a physical blemish. So it means his he was without blemish. He was sound, healthful, without spot, unimpaired, which translates to Noah's bloodline not being tainted. Hmm. <laughs> I like how you said that with some sass. You're like, hmm. I mean, shout out to Noah. Thank you <laughs> for, <laughs> for not falling into that temptation. So as we know, the Lord gives confirmation through others and through his word two to three times. So I wanted to share a couple more verses in relation to the Nephilim. The first one is in the, well, they're both in the New Testament. One of them is Jude verses six and seven. And it says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling he has kept in eternal chains and under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example 
by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And then the second one is in Second Peter, Second Peter 2, 4 through 5. And it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. It's interesting to me as well that in both mentions of the Nephilim, or excuse me, of the sons of God and how they were punished and chained, it's interesting that in both references, they also mention Sodom and Gomorrah and the evil that was being done there. Yeah, my husband made the same correlation because of what Sodom and Gomorrah was. Right. And for in both cases, this unnatural desires. The questions that kind of came to my mind when I was kind of going through this again were, are they still around? If so, how? I mean, we know in Genesis 6, it says that they were before the flood and after. Mm -hmm. But my question is, in what way? Mm -hmm. Is it physically? Is it their spirit that have, you know, manifested itself in different beings or people, you know, whatever it may be? Um, Also, do these beings, these Nephilim, interbreed with other types of beasts or animals or things like that? Because in Jude... If I recall, actually, let me just pull it up. Also, I think it's interesting that Jude is right before Revelation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess it was the strange flesh thing that kind of made me go there, mm-hmm. giving themselves over to strange flesh. Mm-hmm. My question, well, well, what is that? Is that anything specific or is this strange flesh as in not human? But I think that that could be a thought of being an animal or whatever it may be. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Well, one of the one of the questions that I don't know that we've spoken it on the podcast, but definitely you and I have talked about privately is obviously we talked about we talk about cryptid things on here and could it be a origin point for Bigfoot? We had mm-hmm. asked, you know, because the Nephilim were known to give themselves over you know, what they, what it says, and they began to sin against animals. Could that sin against animals have potentially created these cryptids that, right? Like dog man, right? Dog man, Bigfoot. And the reason that would seem plausible to me is because in a lot of accounts, Bigfoot and dog man, but mainly Bigfoot seem to do supernatural things. A lot of accounts describe them as um, having a, a strong sense of evil, evil within them. Mm-hmm. And even the descriptions mm-hmm. of them being terrors, the Nephilim, I can see how that would apply to some Bigfoot accounts as well. So it's a mm-hmm. super interesting thought that some of these cryptids potentially came from, came from that. And, you know, along with that is Native Americans, again, 
have stories of they mentioned star people or visitors from the stars and here's a really weird fact is so nephilim were believed to have six fingers and because and because of that then the native americans were afraid of the six-fingered people and that's where that um raised hand greeting came from to show one another that they only had five five digits as opposed mm. to six isn't that interesting isn't that wild wow that reminds me of an article that I had found when I was kind of diving into this topic. One of the only ones that were kind of left in the archives was from Wisconsin, out of all places. Mm. And from May 1912, there were a group of people, I want to say miners or something like that, who were digging deep, deep, deep into the earth and found bones. And in, but they were like a grave site and the grave site had a stone on the side. So the picture was the stone on the side and then the skeleton and on the stone that it was laying beside had ancient native paintings of these giant beings with the six hands and six toes. And the skeleton that laid beside it matched what it, what the painting was. That does not surprise me whatsoever. Right? But then I thought about, because I'm also, so in college, we're, the one of the classes that I'm in, we're learning a lot about the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And Native Americans, so they're all forced into specific reservations and a lot of that was also in Wisconsin. And so I wonder if they also came in there, found these beings. I wonder if they killed them or if they just, they must have, right? If they buried them and painted a picture beside them. And I also want to say, I feel like the only reason why they allowed that article to stay available is because they attribute it to evidence for Darwinism mm. mm -hmm. because the skulls were very human-like but disproportional as in much larger not having the right amount of fingers and toes and so obviously that means we evolved as human beings like we figured out we didn't need six fingers anymore or six digits anymore so we just lost one along the way <laughs> and we don't have to be like a, like a huge amount of feet tall so we just shrunk out of nowhere over time. Mm -hmm. I also have an account I wanted to read. It's from the Pawnee Indians. I believe there were they were Midwestern, like a tribe in the Midwest. And this account is from Colonel William Cody, and it's night from 1920. The Pawnees are in Indiana. Oh, okay, cool. Um, it says. While we were in the sand hills scouting the Neobrara country, the Pawnee Indians brought into camp some very large bones, one of which the surgeon to the expedition pronounced to be the thigh bone of a human being. The Indians said the bones were those of a race of people who long ago had lived in that country. They said these people were three times the size of a man of the present day. 
that they were so swift and strong that they could run by the side of a buffalo and, taking the animal in one arm, could tear off a leg and eat it as they ran. <laughs> and it gives just this perspective of how Joshua and Caleb said that when they saw the Nephilim, they felt like grasshoppers right. in comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is terrifying. Isn't it? A buffalo. Those buffalo, just look up a buffalo. They're huge. They are gigantic. Very dense. Yes. Yes. And to just be able to run and grab one and start snacking on a leg, that's... I'm sad that our like Spotify and Apple podcast listeners can't see the face you just made. <laughs> Ugh, I just... The thought. That's brutal. Could you imagine witnessing that yourselves? Because the Pawnee are writing because they must have seen that themselves, mm-hmm. these beings mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. I would be terrified. You know, the west side where we lived, Pacific Northwest, was one of the later places to be colonized. And there is allegedly, if there's footage you can look online of what they call the giant door in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And if they come around and you look in the mountain, it looks like a giant door. Mm-hmm. And I just think of all these different types of places or things that they've seen that are still around, allegedly, mm-hmm. and how a lot of it is on here, the west side, versus I don't really hear much on the east side. Do you think that that's, that correlates at all to... I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the reservations and stuff like that are still over here versus. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting connection with national parks, reservations, and some of these things. There's this, I don't know how many of you have heard of Thomas Horn, but he and his team had been or investigating portals and he found that the majority of the portals that they found were always in caves and they were almost always on an, on a reservation. And furthermore, when they approached these portals, they were almost always met with military force. Like Hmm. soldiers with guns would come out and stop them from going further, which Just right now, spur of the moment, I had this thought of perhaps this is why they saw it necessary to kind of suffocate the Native American people and their culture, because in order to usher in this way of thinking, you know, this Western belief system, they needed to suffocate the truth of our history, you know, the history of this land, which... As we keep finding, the more topics we talk about, there's always a Native American equivalent, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and they hold so faithfully to their stories and their beliefs of, of what happened. Whereas, you know, Western culture works really hard to discount any of those histories with evolution and science, mm-hmm. right? And they're the ones who are viewed as being mystical and crazy. 
not that there aren't, you know, witch doctors or shamans or things like that. However, they have these accounts that align so well with the Bible. And I think we talked about that a few podcasts ago, which is why it was easy for some tribes to convert to Christianity because their their histories already lined up with what people, what missionaries were were sharing about God's word. So Mm -hmm. isn't that, that that's just, that's just a thought that I had. Does that, what do you think about that? Well, what's interesting is I just learned, so I live on a reservation and part of what we've been learning about in one of my English classes is the history of the Nez Perce Mm. and this reservation. And the Nez Perce tribe, the reason why they came to this area and the reason why we they were given this place as, as a reservation was because a reverend saved them. Like they became believers. Wow. And it was because a lot of what they already believed in their own culture and their own spiritual type of, I guess, religion mm-hmm. lined up with what the reverend here in this area was telling them. And so they were more susceptible to moving their bands to this area because of this familiarity within their beliefs. And that's so beautiful to me that they, that they have these stories that recognize God's hand, but you know, those, the word of the gospel just hadn't gotten to them yet. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. I also think about your whole portal thing. I was just watching this thing. We're kind of jumping all over we the are. place, That's but okay. I'm trying to tie. I try <laughs> to tie all of what you were saying to just different things I've been reading the last couple of weeks or this last week. I also watched this uh, thing about Mount Hermon mm-hmm. and how they a potential place of man. Now I can't even remember. Yes, you're right. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm glad you brought up Mount Hermon. That's believed to be the place where the Nephilim or excuse me, the sons of God descended on. Mm-hmm. And they believe that there's kind of a um, a location on the mountain where sacrifices were likely made and may also be a portal. Yes. OK, a portal. That's what I thought. With one of the accounts that you and I have both heard of uh, her name's well, her the name that she's using is L, and she's a survivor of satanic ritual abuse. Um, but she, some of the rituals that were done on her were at Mount Hermon. And interesting fact, when I was in Israel, we were in one of the places we visited were the foothills around Mount Hermon. And one of the things, and it, this was a decade ago, so I didn't know nearly as much about Mount Hermon and all of this as I do now. However, I can tell you very distinctly that there was a heaviness in that region. There was just Mm -hmm. a spiritual weight that I hadn't felt anywhere else. It was completely opposite of what I felt in the Galilee region and then even in Jerusalem. But out there, it just it really did feel heavy, might I say evil, uh, but definitely heavy. And so Mm. and there's a U.N. base on Mount Hermon, which the U... So that's where I was going with it, mm-hmm. was that the U.N. base was 
was put there and there's no they do not allow at all any kind of archaeological so sus, guys. digging so right? sus. any kind of experimenting or things like that you have to be the top elite in that government to be able to have access to that area and we're why were we not just talking about the un and the blue beam episode and how they have a hand in everything that's happening man it's right mm -hmm. in our faces mm -hmm. i'm telling you i just wanted to say you know i will say when i when i first heard of these things and and i don't know about you as a listener if you've even heard of the nephilim if this has even been touched on in any of your types of studies, but it can be kind of scary. Mm -hmm. It can feel overwhelming thinking about these hybrid beasts that have roamed and could potentially still be in some aspect today, or even just with Project Bluebeam and you know what's to come. And and maybe you dove into that blizzard of revelation and <laughs> are a little on <laughs> a little on the the fearful side, which I just want to say I feel is normal. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of information mm -hmm. and it's a lot to kind of wrap your mind around and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to to encourage everybody with, with a couple of these verses. I'm in Job right now in my own personal study and it was, I'm in, I was reading chapters 40 and 41 and it it's the Lord talking to Job and reminding him of who he is and his power, how big he is, how, who are you to question who I am? Can you do these things, you know, versus like that I, what I can do versus what you can do and why I am the Lord and you're not. <clears throat> and he also starts talking about these beasts like behemoth and Leviathan. And it says in Job forty nineteen, he behemoth, is the foremost of God's works, only his maker can draw the sword against him. And Behemoth was, they say even potentially a, a dinosaur-like creature, like a long neck, if you think of the bronchiosaurus, bronchiosaurus, I think that's how you pronounce that. But those types of creatures, if you think of these massive beings, like they said his legs were like chunks of cedar. Mm -hmm. They're huge mm -hmm. beings that a human being could not even touch. Um, but then in Isaiah 27, 1, so he also, in Job also goes into Leviathan, which is like the sea monster, a dragon-like being. Um, you can look that up online. They're pretty scary looking, but... In Isaiah 27, 1, it says, On that day, the Lord, with his relentless, large, strong sword, will bring judgment on Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. He will slay the monster that is in the sea. And I wanted to, to read that because, for me, it tied in with what the Lord said in Job, how he's the only one that can slay these beings and how in Isaiah it says and prophesies that he will and has, mm -hmm. you know, we read in revelation how he will slay this beast. And I just want to encourage everybody and myself and you that he's already won. 
he has the power to slay these beasts. They are nothing compared to him. You even think of the demons who were cast out. They knew what the sons of God's punishment was, is, where they're at, the internal damnation that they're experiencing in hell. And they didn't even want that. They said, put us in the pigs and, you know, ran off the cliff and died. Like they would have rather suffered in that way than what they knew God's judgment can give them. And so I just, just think about that. Hold on to that, that God is far greater and more powerful than these beings. And there's nothing to be afraid of because when we're on this side of it, there's already victory. You know, in line with God's promises, and not only does he, you know, defeat these evil forces, the verse that came to me that was really encouraging. So in John 1, starting at verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this verse is so beautiful to me in relation to this topic because that word to become children of God, it's the same one, B'neha Elohim. And in chapter three, we know that when we accept Jesus, we are a new creation. There is something that happens within us. There is a, an actual spiritual shift and mm -hmm. we will not be of blood or the will of flesh, but we will be children of God molded by him. And I just, I was like, wow, Lord, that is so beautiful. And that's true of all of us who believe in him. Mm -hmm. Again, we hope that you guys took something away from this that, if anything, it prompts you to dig deeper in the word. And like Tori said earlier, maybe you'd already heard of the Nephilim. Maybe this hybrid idea is completely new to you. Either way, God is in control and we get to be his children the reason that Jesus did all of this in the first place. Stay curious, guys. And stay weird. <laughs>